Hey everybody, it's the American Soccer Now in 10 or 15 Minutes podcast. I'm John Arnold, joined today by two panelists. We're going coast to coast this week. Out on the east, it's Noah Davis in Brooklyn. What's up, Noah? How much, John? Uh, this is the third time I've done this intro, so um, I'm ready, ready to go. You're probably batting down the hatches for winter. And I, out on the I, west I, coast, I, that's what he said the first two times. Out on the west coast, it's 442's west coast editor, Richard Farley. How you doing, Richard? Doing good, John, but I'm out of Portland jokes now that we're on strike three with this. Hey, you know what? We never even got to. That's how bad the intro was. Listener, hopefully the rest of this podcast goes better. If you've never listened to it before, our format is this. We have three categories. Those categories reveal prompts. Our panelists debate the prompts and we wrap up in around 10 or 15 minutes because uh, that's how the show works. And we think that you probably like listening to that better than listening to an hour and a half recap of us droning on and on. And on that topic, let's get straight into the categories. The categories today are One Day at Horrorland, Ghost Beach, and Deep Trouble. One Day at Horrorland. Ghost Beach and Deep Trouble. Either of you have a stab at what these categories are? <laughs> a stab, huh? So we're staying on the Halloween theme. Okay, yeah, all right. But 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 these are specifically something. It's specifically the title of Goosebumps books. You remember those? The like horror books for kids it's by R.L. Stein. Yeah. Uh, these are Goosebumps books titles. Uh, Noah, for knowing R.L. Stein's name, I guess I'll give it to you first. Where do you want to go? Whatever the third one is, I wasn't listening. Oh, it was Deep Trouble. This is a book about uh, kids going on a science expedition with his uncle and then finding out that the scientists had kept mermaids secret. Uh, this is the, the, the capsules here provided by geek.com, so sorry if they're not the best ever. Blame geek.com. Uh, Noah, I want to know about the uh, MLS teams in Deep Trouble, especially FC Dallas, losing 3-0 to the Seattle Sounders last night. No MLS team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, and the FC Dallas looked pretty poor. Is this just a function of them not having their best player, Mario Diaz, or are the Seattle Sounders really that good? A combination of the two. Why is FC Dallas in such deep trouble, Noah? Um, I, I think it's a little bit Seattle clicked. Um, you know, they've sort of been, they've obviously been, I think, you know, one of the best teams the last second half of MLS since Ladero showed up. Uh, FC Dallas, they had a great season, but they, they lost Diaz. Um, you know, they did lose a couple games pretty badly during the regular season. So it's, it's not unprecedented for them to sort of fall apart like we saw last night. So I, I think it's a little bit of a combination. I mean, Seattle's a tough place to play as well. It was raining. You know, there's a lot of fans. Everyone's wearing green. Drew Carey's probably there telling bad jokes. It's just, you know, it, it's it's the kind of thing that can get out of control pretty quickly. So I think it's surprising to see FCD lose that badly just because they do have a lot of talent beyond Diaz. But it's not uh, not the, you know, not the most surprising thing in the entire world. One of those heavy losses was against Seattle. Oscar Perea played an alternative lineup in that game, but FC Dallas did lose 5-0 in their last trips to Seattle. Richard, what did you take away from this first leg? I know that you're very uh, you know, knowledgeable about the Sounders being in the Pacific Northwest. What did you think? The biggest takeaway for me was less about Dallas because ever since Dallas lost Mauro Diaz, I think we are in this situation where we're not actually sure what we're getting from them. What we got from Seattle was a sign of potential that they hadn't shown since Clint Dempsey was out of the team. He only actually played four games with Nicholas Lodero, and they scored nine goals in those games, I believe. I think they were a plus six also over those four games. So this game harkened back to that team and the potential that team has. Especially over the last two weeks, Seattle hasn't actually been scoring that many goals. So to put three in on a defense that actually inserted an extra central defender, that's telling towards their potential and the danger that they'll pose Colorado or L.A. if they make it into the next round. 
I thought for the purposes of this show, one thing that really struck me was how comfortable Jordan Morris looked. I think he completed 90% of his passes. He was linking well with Lodero. You saw that turn and uh, shot that he had in the first half that I thought was really remarkable. I mean, as you mentioned, Richard, not only did FC Dallas kind of double down on the on the defensive side, bringing in minor Figueroa, who's normally played left back, putting him at center back, putting three central midfielders there, sort of what Jurgen Klinsmann has done sometimes uh, with his roster with uh, Grezzo, Uyola, and Acosta coming into the midfield. Uh, instead of just playing two of those players like they often have. Uh, and still, despite that, you know, Jordan Morris was able to find a lot of space. So there, obviously, was a big star of the game. And maybe for Hex purposes, we can talk about Joevan Jones, who was phenomenal down the wing. Uh, guys, I thought, you know, comprehensive performance by Seattle. And I agree with you, Richard. I think this is hinting at their potential toward MLS Cup. Let's move on. Uh, Richard, it's your pick next. Do you want to hear uh, about Ghost Beach or One Day at Horrorland? Uh, let's do One Day at Horrorland. Ghost Beach sounds like a good way to finish this one off. I have no idea. I haven't even written the categories yet. I just know we're going to go one day at Horrorland. Uh, this is about a family getting lost on the way to a theme park. <laughs> then they stumble across something called Horrorland and settle on that. That's their first mistake, really. Um, I want to know, Richard, if you think the MLS playoff format is a mistake. We saw all four of the uh, better-seeded teams go down yesterday. Uh, what, what, or if anything, does MLS need to change about this? Should they do a system where they let the home team or the higher seed decide if they want the home game first? What's going on here? And is this playoff format good for MLS? Yeah, I guess I would prefer if they did that just because it does seem to be an advantage depending on the style of teams to have the first leg at home. Colorado definitely is a team that you don't want if you have that style to be playing from behind. So to have to go to LA first particularly disadvantages them. I'd also like them to bring in something from Mexico to where if it's a draw at the end of two legs, the higher the lower seed actually goes through. But to be honest with you, this time of year, we have so many people talking about how to reinvent this format. I'd rather us just stick it out with with this format for four or five, six more years. If for no other reason than, than to stop talking about it and just concentrate on the games, I'm kind of over the the meta analysis of tinkering versus not tinkering with the playoff format. No, Richard's over it, but I don't care. I'm going to make him listen to your answer. What do you think we should do for the uh, playoff format, if anything? I'm even more over it than Richard. I've been over it for three, four, or five years at this point. I, I hate that every year we talk about changing the format. And the only reason we do it is because MLS constantly changes the format. I wish they would just st- settle on a format and just stay with it for a long time. And I know they're always adding teams and everything, but like, just pick something and stay with it and stop tinkering and stop changing things and just be just be like this is it stop whining uh we're gonna have these we're gonna have these playoffs it's it's a weird thing to have playoffs in soccer anyway uh they should just they should just keep it and be like this is this is it this is our format for forever and don't do anything that's that's kind of what they're doing right but i I mean this is essentially the same thing that we had last year but i think part of the reason that it's come up and at least part of the reason that's notable to me is that in theory you want to reward the teams that have had a better regular season but, you know, two or three of the teams found out late Thursday night where they were going. They immediately get on a plane. And, and it's tough to win in that situation, I think, Richard. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, that continuity is important. But for me, I, I think that you also need to have the sort of bonus of, of you know, winning the Supporter Shield or finishing second or third. You know, that should carry some weight in the playoffs, right? 
I completely agree with you, but for us to focus on those little things or the inability to pick whether you're going to host the first leg or not is really kind of like trees for the forest type stuff. There are so many other advantages that the home team has, be it a week off or actually having the second leg at home when you know the circumstances of your game that for us to focus in on those while not acknowledging the positives on the other side, again, just gets into this debate that like Noah, I'm kind of tired of at any moment we can pick out something about this format that we don't like. We never actually stop to think about the parts of the format that we do like. And although I'm not a big fan of adapting things for television, this does actually put a lot of these games on television. Whereas three years ago, some of these games were not even being nationally televised. Got a lot of John Baptiste Colbert's here with that laissez-faire approach. I think we should change it every year. Just, <laughs> just you know, and they should announce it right now in September, October. The MLS Cup winner gets to pick the format for the next year. Yeah, perfect. It'd be great. I, I actually do think I would be, and I'm in favor of this in baseball too. I guess this is sort of a stance across all sports for me. Get What's rid baseball? of that one game. Well, we talked about it last week. It's for old people. Uh, get rid of that one game playoff. I say get rid of the knockout round. Get those teams out. It won't happen. I know that the playoffs bring in money. They bring in bigger TV ratings and bigger attendance, et cetera. But I think I say kick that knockout round out of here. Let's go with uh, four teams from each. And especially if you're going to add teams, it's going to be even more rewarding to make the playoffs. Those final weeks of the season will be even more exciting. And then we can kick out that knockout game. That's my fix. And that's what I would pick if I were in charge of the world. Uh, I am in charge of this podcast. I'm going to go into the last category. It's Ghost Beach. Ghost Beach. Uh, this is about Jerry and Terry Sadler who go visit relatives in an old East Coast town. So somewhere Noah's been to, I'm sure. Uh, and then local kids let them know about a ghost that lives in a cave near the beach. Uh, Noah, clearly there's a couple of uh, U.S. national team players that, that, that represent that ghost in the cave who you want to put out in the, uh, in the cave and don't want to see them anymore. Who are the players that you do not want to see called into this roster in Columbus? Who would you like to put into a cave and never hear from again? Love how your brain works and coming up with these categories. Um, I am really tired of watching Michael Orozco uh, get get time on this team, uh, get called in. I know you're a big Michael Orozco fan. I think you think he should start at every. No, no, no. In the no, I'm, I used to. Uh, <laughs> um, I I just don't think that uh, I think Klinsman sees something in him that that I don't see um i don't think he's really acquitted himself well and and really any i think he had you know a good game in mexico a couple years ago um but just seems like he's he's old he's 30 uh you know it it just it just seems like he keeps getting chances and never does anything with them and there's there's a lot of other players i'd rather see get called in just to clarify i ran a an orozco for right back uh, twitter hashtag campaign years ago that was unsuccessful (laughs) then came to fruition but much later than i was hoping it would i'm not an advocate for him anymore uh you can check my hashtag uh, once an advocate always an advocate john that that's not true at all uh richard who do you want to banish to ghost beach which player do you not want to see in columbus i guess i don't have any strong feelings on this other than michael orozco that was my answer so i'm kind of thinking on the spot here there are a couple of borderline players that i just don't know what their upside is and why they continue to be called in somebody like a perry kitchen i think he's a very good player but what is the best version of perry kitchen is that somebody that's ever going to be a major contributor to the national team and if not why isn't that spot going to a player that can be developed into a regular even somebody like juan agadello who undeniably is a very talented person, but I feel like we've just gone on this treadmill with him or gone on and gone off and gone on and gone off this treadmill with him for so long that I'm not actually sure what we're, what the end game is here for that. Even like the debate around Darlington Nagby where he turned down the call up last time. I I just, when I watch Portland play, I, I see him as being like a real, real good sub option off the bench, maybe starting against some teams. But again, I just wonder why 
the fandom basically is so focused on some players when if we're imagining our best case scenario for the national team, where do those players actually end up fitting in? I know that Nagby one's a little bit controversial, but kind of just wanted to flow that, throw that out there. And then none of us have named Wando yet. I guess it just goes without saying that <laughs> Wando is the obligatory answer in this category. No Jermaine Jones? You guys want Jermaine Jones in there? I mean, he's coming off injury, but he's kind of seems like he might be back. Dude's still himself. good, man. Dude is still a very good player. No, I agree, man. I, uh, you, you just can't. He 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 rises to the occasion. I think more than any other player on the U.S. team, uh, and f- I think for better or worse, he is a leader on that team. And I think you got to keep you got to keep pulling him in. I think this week could be big for him, just because I'm not. I, I'm just not convinced on his fitness yet. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to start him against Mexico by any stretch. So maybe you have him as a bench option, and you know that you can get whatever 10, 20 minutes out of him, depending on how the game goes. If you need him, and then could be a big asset down in Costa Rica for that second game. Guys, we'll talk much more about those Hex games on future shows. Hope you enjoyed this spooky, goosebumps-inducing Halloween episode and weren't too scared off by our takes to come back next week. We hope you'll join us then, listener. Noah, Richard, thanks so much. And we hope you'll uh, talk to us soon on the American Soccer Now in 10 or 15 minutes podcast. Take care.